a kid back in the time when self-serve gas pumps were just becoming a thing. And, uh, and I thought that it was cool to pump gas. Hashtag life goals, right? I mean, I was just, I was right there. Uh, my, my dad showed me how to make it all work. You grab the nozzle and you move that lever on those old timey pumps, right? And, and uh, you stick the nozzle in the tank and you squeeze the handle and you hold on tight. And you watch as those numbers tick by, right? There wasn't any digital stuff going on. They were physically, you know, they're moving along and, and cranking along there. And, and then you shut it off when it gets to 10 bucks. Man, those were the days, right? That, that might give you a gallon or two these days, but um, uh, you'd, you'd fill up that Oldsmobile back in, back in the day. So I'd done that a few times, and, and uh, I remember we were headed out on, on vacation, and uh, one summer we stopped for gas, uh, first, first stop of, of the day as we're headed out on vacation, and um, I asked my dad if I could pump the gas, and he said yes, and then he went inside, and, and I got everything going just like I'd learned, and I stood there pumping gasoline into our white 1976 Oldsmobile 98, right? 98 Olds. And um, I don't know, I, I don't know what happened, but something must have distracted me because I turned and when I turned, I brought the nozzle with me and, uh, and I just kept holding on tight, right? Because that's how I had learned. And, um, and, and so, so I, uh, I'm, I'm pumping gas, but it's not going in the car, right? And so I remember yelling out to my dad uh, for help and, and uh, all this precious petroleum is spilling out over the side of the car and onto me and all over the, uh, uh, the asphalt there. And, and uh, my dad came running and he pried that nozzle out of my hands and he shut, uh, shut it off. And then uh, he told the, uh, the gas station attendant what had happened, that there'd probably be, need to be some cleanup uh, along the way. Then he helped clean me up. And I remember distinctly remember my father father asking me this question. Why didn't you just let go? I don't know the answer to that question. To this day, I don't know why I didn't let go. But in the moment, it hadn't occurred to me that, that I should just let go. If I had let go, I could have avoided a big mess. I could have saved my dad some money because, you know, gas, uh, even though it was cheaper back then, so were, you know, we weren't making as much money back then, you know, and all the things, right? And, and it would have saved me a lot of embarrassment, I remember riding the rest of that day with the windows down, uh, and I was smelling like gas. And, uh, you know, my family didn't appreciate it, but I, I was getting the brunt of it, and I still hate to get gas on my hands if I'm at the, at the pump. Just hate that, that uh, completely. And maybe, maybe you're realizing as we progress through this season of Lent that if you're honest, there are certain things that you're holding on to that may be costing you, may be causing a mess in your life, but you just can't bring yourself to let go. And hopefully your heavenly father is in the process of prying your hands away from what's holding you back from all that he has for you. Remember, God doesn't confront our brokenness and our sins so that he can condemn us or shame us. Our, our verse for this series says it plainly, John three seventeen. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And although I keep quoting that verse, we can still tend to, to hold on to the shame of our sin. Sin and shame tend to go hand in hand. I, I love the story about the new pastor who was, who was visiting in the homes of, of some of the, the people in his new congregation. And, and it was very obvious. He got up to this one house. It was very obvious that, that someone was home. But as he knocked on the door, no one came to the door. 
There was a car in the driveway. The lights were on. He, he pretty sure he could hear the TV on, but, but no one came. So after several attempts and no response, he took out one of his business cards and, and on the back he simply wrote Revelation 320 and he stuck it in the, in the door. And as he walked away, he kind of chuckled to himself at his own uh, witty response because he knew that Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Well, the next Sunday after the service, the pastor saw that someone had put a note in the offering addressed to him. And when he opened the envelope, there was a card in there that simply read Genesis 3.10. And it was signed by the lady of the home where he had been uh, trying to visit earlier in the week. And so... The pastor opened his Bible to Genesis 3.10 and he read, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Shame seems to have been a frequent companion of sin from the very start, right? As, as soon as Adam and Eve ate that fruit and they disobeyed God, they were ashamed. They saw that they were naked and so when they heard God coming, they hid where, where sin exists, shame usually follows. And we hold on to that shame because we don't want to expose our sin to God or to anyone else. But the truth is, in Jesus, God, God meets us right where we are. He doesn't shame us or condemn us, but, but don't think for a second that he's light on sin. That's not what this series is about. It, he doesn't condemn us, but he also doesn't leave us there. In our sin, right? He came to save us from the things that we're holding on to or the things that are holding on to us. Things like anger and lust and greed and pride and selfishness, bitterness, you name it. God wants to and will save us from those things. And in their place, He plants things like peace and love and courage and self control and goodness and so many more. God is not just saving us as individuals. It's not just a, a me, and, me and God kind of thing, but he's also, in, in saying that, it says he didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. And so, so there's this, uh, this sense that he's going to not just heal us individually, but he's healing this world and all the brokenness that we experience in it. All the injustices and the evil systems will one day be gone. and All oppression and unfairness will be no more. God sent his son into the world in order to save it and heal it and restore it to make us whole. And I, I love the, the beautiful story that we're going to look at today. It's another scene in, in Jesus' life where he encountered a person who needed to hear his message of, of life and hope to let go. Specifically today, we're going to talk about letting go of the shame of the past. It's, it's in John chapter 4, as I mentioned, when, when Jesus encountered a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And it starts off this way, John chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Now Jesus had to go through Samaria, to which I say, actually, he didn't. I don't mean to contradict scripture, but, but Jews in those days had become very adept to planning their trips so they could avoid going through Samaria. Samaritans were despised by the Jews at that time. The Jews felt that the Samaritans had abandoned uh, the, the Jewish faith. They had intermarried with Gentiles and they had adopted Gentile practices and, and they, they worshipped in, in separate places. Samaritans worshipped here and the, the, uh, the, the Jewish uh, folks uh, the, were, were worshipping in Jerusalem and, and, and they tried to avoid each other at all costs. So when John says that Jesus had to go through Samaria, it wasn't about the route. There were plenty of roads around Samaria. 
Jesus had to go through Samaria because his father was leading him there to encounter a woman who was living in shame to help her let go. First of all, this woman was guilty. There's no two ways about it. The the woman uh, that Jesus met that day at the well outside of Sychar in Samaria was no saint. She was a sinner. She'd had five different husbands and was now living with a man who wasn't her husband. She was probably uh, shunned by the other women in the community because maybe she had stolen some of their husbands. Uh, 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 and, And... those sins of infidelity and adultery and fornication were, were no doubt just the sins that everybody knew about. I'm sure there were, there were other sinful things that this woman was guilty of. We can't sugarcoat it. We can't just uh, feel good and move on. We've got to recognize that this woman was guilty. We also need to recognize that this woman was living in shame ostracized by others, looked down upon in the community, drawing water uh, uh, by herself in the heat of the day in order to avoid their their uh, condemnation. This, this woman was mired in the shame of her past and her poor choices. And so that leads us to consider the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt deals with our behavior, what we've done. Shame deals with our identity, what we believe about ourselves. A person living with guilt says, I made a mistake. A person living with shame, living in shame, says, I am a mistake. Shame is when we're convinced that there's something wrong with us, that that our poor choices define who we are. Certainly, guilt can lead to shame, and sin can bring us to a place of shame, but living in shame is living without hope. It's It's the belief that there's no path out of our guilt. We we should feel guilty when we sin. We are guilty when we sin. The the Holy Spirit convicts us of sins that we commit, and, and we should definitely feel guilty for those wrong things that we have done, and there are consequences for sin and, and for wrong behavior. We need to recognize that. We need to know that, but we need to recognize the difference between guilt and shame. There, there are consequences for our guilt. In, in my house growing up, those consequences for particularly heinous crimes involved a wooden spoon. My parents kept one specifically designated as the instrument of punishment on each level of the house. So there was a wooden spoon close by, no matter whether the sinful behavior occurred upstairs, on the main floor, or in the basement. And you didn't want to get in trouble upstairs because that spoon had a crack in it, and there was a little extra, a little extra, yeah, little welt action going on there. Of course, there were other punishments uh, that, that my brother and I received uh, throughout the years, grounding, getting privileges taken away, all those sorts of things. I, I believe my parents were, were pretty good at coming up with punishments that, that fit the crimes that the Ryder brothers were guilty of. And we were guilty of some things. I'm glad my brother isn't here, uh, but then I guess if he started telling stories on me, I'd have a few to tell 
on him. We deserved punishment. We needed correction. The consequences we received for the bad things that we had done, that we were guilty of, those consequences then helped to uh, helped us to know right from wrong and hopefully as we matured to choose the right way instead of the wrong way. They guided our our lives. A key part of the Holy Spirit's job uh, in, in our lives, in the world, and, and in our lives today is to convict people when they're guilty. But He will not condemn us. He will never shame us. There may be consequences for bad choices, but God convicts us so that He can save us. Notice that Jesus definitely pointed out what this woman at the well had done wrong. Uh, he, he specifically mentioned uh, the, the, the big things that she was guilty of. He didn't shy away from confronting her sin. He let her know that he knew what she was guilty of doing, but not what she was guilty of being. He didn't belittle her, insult her, or look down on her, or shame her. Maybe Jesus knows that we're pretty good at shaming ourselves and, uh, and, and without any help from him, right? To be honest, religion and the church have done a pretty good job of, of doing a lot of that shaming and condemning over the years. We tend to condemn those that don't live up to our standards. We actually expect people who aren't following Jesus to live like they are. We, we might even look down our noses at, at those who have made who, or who are making poor choices, uh, condemning them for their lack of morality, but we can't expect people to live like Jesus when they don't even know him yet, right? And we shouldn't be expecting, we, we should be instead expecting them to live like the devil, because that would make sense, right? But, but we should be looking for ways to reach them and to point them to Jesus who can save them from the choices that they're Making and the consequences of those things. God doesn't define us by our sins. He sees our sins, our mistakes, our failures, and, and he, but he knows that those things that we have done don't make up who we are. You are God's creation. He loves you. In fact, he loves you so much that he sent Jesus not to shame you for your sins, but to save you from them. His salvation extends to your deepest hurts, your worst mistakes, your ugliest sins. He can and will heal them all. Romans 8 declares it loudly. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We are set free from the condemnation and shame uh, because of Jesus, because that's what he came to do. The, the, the woman at the well had been secretly longing for a savior. In verse 25 of John 4, she says, I, I know the Messiah is coming. We, we recognize that this was a regular part of, of her thinking and what she was anticipating. At some point, Messiah is coming. She had some secret hope, right? But, but in the meantime, she lived in her shame, coming to the well at noon, avoiding the stares and condemnation of other people. To her and to all of us, Jesus says in verse 26, I am He. I am Messiah. I am your Savior. Because God so loved the world, He sent Jesus to save us. 
Well, all of that completely flabbergasted this woman that day, right? And she took off ready to declare uh, to the people who had, who had just been shaming her an hour before, right? Now she's going to those same people uh, and, and that, that she'd been ashamed to even face before. Now she's going to them and, and sharing the message of Jesus that Jesus had come. She, she's been, and in seeing that, we recognize that there's a big shift that's changed, right? From the time she got to the well to the time she left that well, there's a, there's a big shift that has occurred. Jesus has set her free from her shame. And in letting go of her shame, she actually had quite an impact. We, we can pick up the story in verse 39 of John chapter 4. Let's, let's read 39 to 42. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of the words, his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We now have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This woman testified, telling her story about her interaction with Jesus, not leaving out the juicy details. She's completely unashamed now, which tells me uh, something that I think we need to apply to our own lives. When we are saved, when we are free from shame, we need to be telling that story. Over and over and over again, we need to be telling the story. Tell what Jesus has done for you. Uh, we, we don't know uh, what those other townsfolk had done. Uh, we just know the, the salacious story of the woman at the well. But these people in her community obviously resonated with this message of, of hope and uh, this freedom from shame. Uh, we don't know what their specific sins were, but we know that, uh, that, that they were uh, not following Jesus. And then he stayed two days. In forbidden Samaria, he stays two days. And, uh, and ministers to them and talks to them, and many people believed in him too. I think shame, one thing that shame does is keep us quiet, right? It keeps us from connecting with others. It keeps us from being honest. It, it keeps us from believing that we might just have a life-changing story to tell as we point people to the one who can save them when they let go of their shame too. Jesus changed this woman's entire story. It's like there was, a, there was a hinge at the well, and everything changed after that encounter with Jesus. In my reading this week, I found something I'd never heard before. Maybe you have, uh, but uh, in, in, uh, we, don't, we don't have any other biblical record of this woman, right? We, this is the story about her. We don't have any other record. But according to Eastern Christian Orthodox tradition, this woman was involved in the early church after Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, her name was Fotini, and she's honored as a saint in the Eastern Orthodox Church to this day. Fotini is said to have converted her five sisters and her two sons, and they all became missionaries, and, and they shared the gospel uh, throughout the, uh, uh, the, the, the world there and actually ended up in Rome where she was martyred for her faith under the oppression of Nero. February 26th, every year in the uh, Eastern Orthodox Church is St. Fotini Day, the woman at the well. We've already said she didn't start out a saint, right? <laughs> Far from it. But then she met Jesus. So instead of living her life in sin and shame, Jesus saved her and she let go of the shame that was holding her back and she stepped into a brand new life following Jesus. And if he can do that for a notorious sinner like the woman at the well, he can do it for you. 
Letting go of shame leads to a brand new life. Shame keeps so many people away from Jesus. You've heard people uh, before. Maybe you've said it before. Uh, they joke about not coming to church. Oh, I can't come to church. The roof would fall in on me, right? You've heard people say that. Well, they're joking a little bit, but it's coming from a place of awareness of sin, right? And that maybe they're not quite on track with where God would want them to be, but they're not going to say or do anything about that or reveal it anywhere. And it also reveals this sense of, of uh, that they believe that God is a God that's out to get them because of their sin. A lot of people don't think God can see past their guilt and we're ashamed, and then we hold on to that shame, and it keeps us from coming to Him when all He wants to do is save us. And so we can't let that happen, right? God loves you. He sent Jesus not to condemn you, but to save you. And so, so I encourage you today to let Him save you from the shame of sin. Jesus wants to rewrite your story. 